because it was in that moment that the world of beer became the world of literature. This became a way to understand the world, the way to relate to other people, that common thread to relate to other people um, and find a way to use that as the tool for the forces of good, so to speak. My goal is just to help people just kind of like realize there's so much more out there and it is awesome. Welcome to the Craft Beer Travel and Adventure Podcast with Living a Stout Life. This is where we sit down with creative thinkers, on-the-road adventurers, and craft beer lovers. Your hosts, Ken and April, live, work, and travel in a 24-foot RV in search of inspiring stories around a great beer. Holy Dancers! fuck balls, it's hot. Don't start. That's how you're going to start it. Okay, there's hardly any cuss words throughout the entire podcast this time, but then you started off with that. Okay, but it is extremely hot when we're recording this little intro to the podcast that we have today. Um, Yeah, it's hot. And we just went on a bike ride. And it's And it's hot. It's like the end of September and we're in Kentucky, but it's hot. Yeah, state 49 in the rig. 49. And we can definitely claim Kentucky because we've been here for three nights, I think. And we've drank bourbon here, and we've drank beer here, and we rode our bikes here. I think we can claim Kentucky. Kentucky's clean. But, anyhow. Alaska to go. Bam. Yeah, Alaska mm. to go. But that's All right. a, an entire we digress. subject for an entirely different podcast, talking about Alaska. Because this episode, we are talking about beer. Go figure. But we're also talking to a friend of ours that we met at a now-defunct beer journalism conference. However, our relationships are alive and thriving with the people that we have met from that, so we're grateful for that. We're talking to Jeremy Storton from... Good Beer Matters. And what the conversation is about is basically why Good Beer Matters. We think Good Beer Matters, but it's also a lot more in-depth than that. And... I've actually always listened to his podcast thinking it's a double play on the thing, just like ours. Living a stout life is a double meaning, but good beer matters is kind of a double meaning too, because yes, good beer does matter, but there is good beer matter out there to be Ooh, educated on. Like that. Oh, and that was a good transition because <laughs> Jeremy was actually um, a teacher before. And he's still a teacher, still a teacher. actually, but if you listen is... to his podcast. He's very teaching in some of the things he does. But that's his big thing. He's an educator. And so he, I remember one of his quotes, I'm going to butcher the quote, but he's going to say it anyhow. So he was just saying, I spend too much time learning about the beer and all the time learning about the beer. So then you don't have to learn to like do that and take that effort unless you want to. But his goal is to get you, whoever you are, whether you're an expert in the industry, like a craft beer expert in the industry... Or a novice beer drinker who's just like new to craft beer. But his goal is to, I mean, we already said it, is to educate. Yeah, he's hes like a lot of us. He's a uber beer geek, you know, but he's that next level uber beer geek that is studying. He's already a Cicerone. Advanced. And yeah, he's at the advanced level. So, you know, there's not much more he can do in that pro. He can go a little bit further, but uh, to get all the way up to that master level, whew, I don't know. But I don't know if he wants to do that. I mean, he talks about that a little bit on here, and I'm going to let him talk about that. I don't want to ruin that part of the podcast. But It was such a great conversation between the three of us. There were so many um, things going on that I learned, that I think he learned, and that I think the whole thing was really inspirational as well as to how he connects beer to life in general 
And I think that's probably why we kind of matched up a lot because that's what ours is about is living a stout life is connecting beer to life. It's like a full on craft beer lifestyle. And he so eloquently puts all that together into one statement and educates people all about how to do that. Yeah. And that's what I really liked. I mean, especially doing, I mean, we knew from knowing Jeremy, we, for a little bit now, we knew we had a like connection with him on a friendship level and a beer geek level and every a bunch of other stuff. But then even talking to him more in the podcast, I think we realized that there were a lot more connections too, really, because he's had so many great experiences through his life that we connected with and it just, or just, I found interesting too. He also mentioned on there too, um, his three P's passion. Um, I'm doing the wrong order if there is an order, but passion, professionalism and purpose. And so I'm just saying, if you have any kind of a passion for beer at all or craft beer, or you're simply seeking to figure out what your passion for life is, this whether you like beer or not, I'm just telling you that this is it. Like he is truly, um, it just sounds so cheesy, but it is, is inspirational. And I just get this vibe from him when we're talking that he, I mean, he, there's no vibe. He knows what he's talking about. So when you listen to him, there's just this confidence, I think in him that passes on to his listeners. Yeah. And I think I, I walked away with a very similar thought about that. It doesn't even matter if beer's your thing or not. The way he talks about his transitions through life from different careers and to what's led him to a passion for the beer industry can really be applied to anything in your life. And I think that was his goal really. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that in, in that way, then that is why to him, good beer matters. So we should let Jeremy talk. Yeah. Let's find out why good beer matters. Yes. And I would also say stick around to the very end because we have um, another cool story for you too at the very end. And this time, I promise you, it's not like the little some little uh, spiel or joke that I played on you last time. Because, yes, we're all talking about Camp Carp Idea, but this time there's actually a cool story at the end, too. So stay tuned to the very end. Here's Jeremy. So it's quite funny because we never start our podcast the same, but it always just ends up starting somehow because you're like, you're going to start? I'm going to start. Who's going to start? But anyhow, welcome to the Craft Beer Channel and Adventure Podcast. <laughs> Right on. It's perfect that I'm kind of like mid-travel while we have this conversation. Yeah. Absolutely. So and we're... this is Jeremy Storton from Good Beer Matters. His own which podcast. Which is yeah. his own podcast. Yeah. And Jeremy is, he takes um, the beer stuff that we do way beyond into the next level because you are a BJCP certified judge. You're a, you're yeah. a certified brewer. You are an advanced Cicerone, correct? I am. I am. Yeah, man. And for people that don't know, the Cicerone thing just blows me away, too, because for people that don't know, becoming a Cicerone, a master Cicerone is akin to being a sommelier in wine. And so you got to know everything. Well, well, Cicerone has four levels and sommelier has four levels. Right. And so they kind of run parallel. So you're right about that. And you are that advanced Cicerone is that third of the four levels, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I tell people that I spend all this time learning about beer, uh, way more about beer than anyone should so that you don't have to. <laughs> are you going to keep learning that much more about beer? Are you going, are you going for that master Cicerone level? Um, I'll never say never, but that is not currently my goal. And the biggest thing I've seen, and I've actually spoken with, um, a master Cicerone about this, just about the ROI of going after your master. Um, I, I've actually, I take that back. I've spoken with a couple masters about this 
And they kind of agree that at some level, it becomes far more esoteric and more about a personal goal than it is about achieving a knowledge base and a status that you can then turn around and uh, offer as a deliverable, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I, I, I understand it because I think at the level you're at, you can explain beer to people in a fashion that 99% of the population, it's going to be well and above anything they ever need. <laughs> well, that, and and that is my superpower. I have, I have this superpower of getting you to roll your eyes in the back of your head, just get me talking <laughs> about beer. So I warned Kenny, like before we got on the camera here, sorry, listeners. Yes, we do this on camera so we can actually like have a conversation, but mm-hmm. Um, but I warned Kenny beforehand <laughs> to say like, now don't get too technical with the beer. <laughs> we no, totally. Hear- we can totally get technical about the beer. Yeah, because you guys <laughs> well, as long as, as long as as long as April says it's okay. But that's no, pretty I, much the rule. Yes. <laughs> what did I just say though? I said do not get too technical about the beer. Just about the Sorry. love of beer. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so we have established you are a supreme beer geek um, that has a superpower to make people's eyes roll back in their head. So yes. What got you to that point? What drove you to become that kind of an expert on beer? So I use that term expert loosely because as you guys well know, we never stop learning. But um, I'm going to go back to a conversation that April and I had a long time ago on on the bus, how she was a teacher and I was a teacher. Um, Ever since I was a kid, I wanted to be a teacher. And and the first of the 86 times I saw Dead Poet Society, I decided I wanted to be an English teacher, you know, right? Um, and, uh, and I became a teacher. I, I, I'm going to give you the short version of the story. I became a teacher and realized that they're going to pay me uh, less than $30,000 a, uh, $30, a year while I'm working in like Newport Beach, California. It, it's just you cannot live on a teacher's wage in a nice place, especially given all the stuff that they cram down your throat that you need to do besides far beyond just teaching the kids. Um, And then uh, as way goes on to way, then I uh, started working for an outdoor gear store. Um, I was always, uh, I was always a a water guy. I was an ocean lifeguard. I became a junior lifeguard instructor because I was a teacher at heart. Um, I started working in an outdoor gear shop and I started teaching rock climbing classes and backpacking trips and, and I started giving talks to the groups like the Sierra club and stuff like that. Um, because I always had that teacher's heart. Um, I just realized that the classroom was not the perfect environment for me. Um, then fast forward, I, I'm working in, uh, in restaurants and bars and all that stuff uh, while I'm trying to do other things. I, I realized at some point I need to get a real job. So I became a, a fireman and I worked in the medical field. And none of those just, I didn't like them. I didn't want to stay there. Um, and so working just restaurant bar jobs to make this work. And in order to become a bartender at this brewery that I was working at, I had to get this thing called a Cicerone. And I, my first question was like, what the hell is that? And they explained to me that this is like sommelier, but for beer. I was like, oh, cool. So I, I had been homebrewing for a few years. So I, I was decently beer savvy, got my first level of uh, the uh, certified beer server so I could bartend. And just something kind of clicked. The more I learned about beer, the more I realized I wanted to learn more about beer. Um, and uh my wife and I, one night we sat watching that um, 
documentary Psalm about this oh, yeah. group of people going after their master sommelier. And I thought it would just be, you know, fun and interesting. I love food and all that stuff. But what really, really flipped the switch for me in April, I think you'll probably dig, you'll both dig this, but just the way that they talked about uh, wine. Um, when I go back to uh, when I studied literature and studied writing, uh, you know, I finally understood, you know, Shakespeare. I finally, uh, you know, read all these uh, world literature type stuff. And I love the stories. I love the way they connect, connect to humanity um, the, throughout the world. It's just, it wasn't just about the story. It was everything. It was what it means to be human. Um, and then getting back to the beer world, the way that they talked about wine was exactly how I felt about literature and writing humanity and whatever we put toward it. And so after that documentary is over, my wife asked me, well, it's too bad they don't have anything like that for a beer. And I said, well, they do. It's called Cicerone. And she's like, well, why the hell aren't you doing that? And that was the moment I was like, I have no idea what this means, but I have to do that because it was in that moment that the world of beer became the world of literature. This became a way to understand the world, the relate, the way to relate to other people, that common thread to relate to other people um, and find a way to use that as the tool for the forces of good, so to speak. Um, but I knew I, I couldn't do that as a bartender, as a certified beer server in a small town in Oregon. So I decided, well, I, I need to learn more. I need to do more and I need to have some semblance of uh, why the hell should we listen to this funny looking bald guy? Um, and so that's kind of what propelled me to learn more and start a podcast and get my advanced Cicerone and, and all that sort of stuff. How, how have you seen like that, that level of education and the way you compare it with like understanding the world? How have you seen that, like help you relate to people, whether it's on your podcast or just out in the world in general? I think one thing is, um, when I'm talking to beer people, I don't have to go through that conversation of, do I know more about beer than you? Or do you know more about beer than me? You know, there's always kind of like that, like, you know, like dog sniffing each other's butts. You know, when, when you're trying to work with professionals in the beer business, you kind of evaluate, are you worth my time? Are you not? And, and that's not just beer. That's, that's, that's life. That's, right. you know, should I, should I invest any time in this person? Um, that, that was the prime reason why I wanted to get, the stuff that I have in the beer world is so we didn't have to have that conversation. We could just get right down to the table and say, okay, how can we work together? How can we do something cool together? Or, you know, meeting you guys in a, in a bus on the way to a brewery, we can just like, we don't need to have that. Oh, what do you do? Oh, what do you do for a living? We could just like, Hey, what do you guys like to do it? it we can just skip over that lame conversation. But when it comes to, dealing with people on the ground, um, I, I can take this perspective that I have, this, this passion that I have for this thing and this, this kind of, um, exp, uh, not the perspective, I'm just going to stick with that word and, and try to share it, try, try to kind of plug a little thought process into that. And uh, I've been fortunate to have been able to kind of open people's eyes to, the possibility of that beer can take you to. And so that's how I kind of relate to people in those two different groups. 
we actually were um, on your podcast, like the episodes will be airing, but we just got to be interviewed by you. And we were talking more yeah. about um, like kind of more inspirational, like travel and beer and pairing it all together and pairing adventure and beer and all that. But so a lot of people that we know, or just any, maybe even a lot of our listeners too, are always curious as to how like, okay, great. Like we're doing all this stuff, but how do you afford it? How do you make money at this? How does this, how do you turn this into a business? Like it's great and it's inspirational <laughs> and you're having fun, but how do you turn these things that you love to do into something that is actually could be somewhat monetary or how do you even like begin to think along those lines? H- how do you kind of bring your podcast and your beer loving into something that's actually something that could not just be dream or something pure fun. How does it turn into something that's tangible that lasts? It doesn't have to be all about money, but just something that is real to those that are looking to create something that is different than what they're normally doing in their day-to-day lives, going to a cubicle. How do you get paid to drink beer? (laughs) Yeah. So, so, so to answer your question of how I make my millions, um, I have breweries all around the world that send me pallets upon pallets of beer. And then I turn around and sell it to people and make like 300% markup. Uh, Pause. Just kidding. He's full of shit. (laughs) (laughs) Rewind. Yeah. Let's do a little clap. We're going to edit that out. Uh, No, no. So, um, I think, uh, so as far as my podcast, this is purely just because I can't not do the podcast. Um, what, what really began with the good beer matters podcast and I'll flesh out the rest of the stuff in a second is I wanted to learn more about beer. I wanted to go to someone like Gary fish from Deschutes brewery or Ken Grossman from Sierra Nevada or, or whoever and say, Hey, could I have an hour of your time? Cause I just want to pick your brain. They're going to look at me and say, hell no, who, right. you know, they, I'm not even going to get past the, the, you know, the, the, um, the guard. But if I approach these people and say, will you come on to my podcast and talk to me for an hour and we'll promote whatever it is you're doing. That's when everyone tends to say yes. And so I wanted to learn more. I realized if I learned more then I could share it with anyone who's interested and this would give me the the way into, you know, these people who would never give me the time of day otherwise. Um, and so that's what I've done. But uh, I think I've made with, you know, like little ads that you can place on your podcast. I, I think I've made all of like a, a whopping $50 in the, in the last, what, four and a half years. Um, so if I were relying on that, uh, my kids would be starving. Um, <laughs> what, uh, so what the podcast for me really has done is it has just created a bunch of opportunity. Uh, it has gone out into the world ahead of me and kind of, it's been my marketing plan. It's kind of gone out like, you know, uh, like when I met you guys, you knew the podcast. And so you're like, oh, you're Jeremy from the Good Beer Matters podcast. And then we connect and we collaborate. So uh, it has opened up doors for me. It has given me opportunities to, um, when I worked for, uh, in the beer business for companies, um, the fact that I did all this stuff made him like, oh, cool. This guy knows what he's doing. Let's hire him. Um, now that I'm working for myself and I'm doing content creation and beer education, that sort of stuff. Uh, again, the podcast has just created that opportunity uh, for me to be able to do what I do now. So um, I don't make any money in a podcast, but I make all of my money because of the podcast, if that makes sense. 
that's a lot of what we say with our website and our podcast is too as well as like we really don't make a whole lot of money off of living a start life.com yeah not um, directly but we get money yeah, because yeah. of that yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and 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 any company that's out there that might happen to listen to this and they're like oh i don't I don't want to start a podcast because if there's a business, a brewery, whatever that is thinking about a podcast, but doesn't see the direct ROI, you probably won't be a direct ROI, but there will be a tremendous indirect ROI. And I've experienced that. It sounds like you guys have too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very much. I mean, it's like you said, it, it, I mean, the way, when you talk about it, it almost sounds kind of selfish because you're like, oh, this is how I get in to talk to these guys or whatever. But there, there's a give and take to that, but, but it does, it lends some credibility to what you're doing. And I think it shows people that you're serious about what you're doing. Like you said, you could walk in and you could be just as serious saying, Hey, I want to sit down and talk to you for an hour, but you're taking their time just for your education on a podcast. You take that same education and share it with someone else. And as many people as who will turn into your pod, tune into the podcast Yeah, and that gives you that that credibility, that fact, you can display what you know, you can display how you can help businesses and things like that as well. And it, it just opens doors and it's led to a lot of, like for us, it's led to most of our, our actual money-making endeavors yeah. you know, that pay the bills that keep the lights on. Well, and it kind of goes back to our conversation a little bit ago about how I wanted to be a teacher and I had a teacher's heart, but it was through it was through teaching kids how to be a lifeguard and how to be, how to body surf and be safe on the beach. It was teaching um, adults how to backpack in the wilderness, teaching people how to rock climb, whatever, to, whatever it was. I realized, wait a minute, I don't want to be a teacher. I want to be a guide. And like anyone who, it's like if you're going to hire a scuba diving guide, um, you don't want that person that just passed the test yesterday. If you're going to hire, someone to go uh, to take you heli skiing. You don't want someone who's like, yeah, I've done it once before. I'll totally take you. Um, you, you want someone who has done it and knows what you're doing. And, and that's where I want to be the guide. I want to go in and talk to you guys. I want to talk to Garrett Oliver. I want to talk to Ken Grossman and get their perspective on the beer business. And I want to share it with those people who may not have access. So, My head just grew three sizes because we were just mentioned in the same breath as Ken Grossman and Garrett Oliver. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Two, two of my beer heroes. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, April, do you have an ice pack? I think his head is swelling. I think, yeah, oh. he needs one. <laughs> so I'm going to like paint a scenario here because you're talking about being a guide. And um, so there's this, you know, 21-year-old. He's never, you know, air quotes, drank before, whatever. Um, <laughs> is really curious about craft beer because all you know they've used all he's used to drink or she or whoever it is all they used to drink was you know pbr <laughs> yeah. sorry i'm bashing pbr again <laughs> <laughs> but they want to know more about craft beer and how to get into it and they just it's overwhelming because really if you think about it there's nine thousand craft breweries there's so many different styles and if you go into a brewery you're just like uh how do you how do you guide the newbie drinker regardless of their age i suppose but how do you it's guide them I, I would say uh, it, whether it's a that uh, forty-year-old beer virgin or the twenty-one-year-old who's never had a sip before, uh, honestly, it's, it's simple question: whether you're a guide or a therapist, you're going to meet them where they are. I, I think it. I think it's a tremendous 
disservice to to take someone on their 21st birthday. So I'm going to teach you about beer. Let's get a, a double West Coast IPA. And they're just like, oh God, beer is horrible. Um, <laughs> I th- that That's not the best way to do it. We're not going to give them stouts. We're not going to like show them the entire world in a day. Let's start where they are. What are they like? If they've been eating... Um, if they're a 21 year old who still subsists on top ramen and uh, 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 grilled cheese sandwiches, you know, maybe we're going to start with a, uh, a Czech Pilsner and, and it's something real easy and just say, yeah, you've been drinking PBR. Now try the Czech Pilsner. I think that's the important thing for me is to take someone where they are and take them one step, not a hundred steps forward and, and just kind of uh, lead them. I, I think, um, there's a famous quote, April, you probably know it. Well, both of you guys probably know it, but it was more of like associated with teachers, but uh, education is not the filling of minds, but the stirring of the heart, something, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. My goal would be to get people to realize that the world of beer is vast and wonderful and realize that there is more out there to explore and not to give them all the information, but to take them one step and get them to want to take the next step with or without me. It really doesn't matter if I'm there or not. So you could actually, the way you're talking about all that too, is you could actually take the of beer out of that statement and just say the world is vast and beautiful. And all those things that you just said with beer is the same way that you can approach like trying to, you know, just get out into the world itself. You don't take the entire planet at once and like try to get there and do all these things you're just going to be overwhelmed and then just shut down because we could have this exact same conversation about food about music um i i I am in the mid i'm almost done i think it's uh as of this recording like in two weekends i'm going to go and finish off becoming a free diving instructor and that part of that is because i want to take people to this point of self-awareness that that they have not been aware of before and, and, and kind of help open up the world. And the tools I happen to choose to use are beer, food, and, and water sports. Um, uh, and, and maybe a little bit of music too. It's, it's, but, but I, I, my goal is just to help people just kind of like realize there's so much more out there and it is awesome. Where did, uh, where did all of this come from for you? Did, did this come from a life of traveling all the time or anything? I mean, or did certain people enter your life that influenced you on this? Or did you just discover all these things on your own just because you have a curious mind that obviously as, as having a desire to be a teacher and a guide, you have a curious mind that, that, and just from listening to your podcast too, I know you seep up knowledge, you know, like you, you just soak it all in, but. Like, tell us the origin yeah, story yeah, what, of yeah, Jeremy. The origin so, story. Yeah, well, that's a good yeah, way to put it. Well, we we all have had those little um, like mentors that serve as waypoints along the along our life, right? Um, I, I grew up in San Diego and uh, and was just a water baby to begin with, um, and and I had an uncle that surfed and kind of influenced my life in that way. There's there's a reason I don't have it on now, but there's a reason why I have and will always have a dive watch on whether I'm like at a black tie or a funeral, whatever, I will always wear a dive watch, nothing but, um, and it's because of my uncle. 
I had a godfather who was like a, a second father to me. And one of the things that we would do is, I mean, God, we, we would go snorkeling all the time and then we'd go have this fancy dinner and then go see just a really bad eighties action movie. And that's what <laughs> we did together. And, um, and so I have this, and my mother was a good cook and my parents, you know, um, uh, did stuff with their business and I was always tagging along. So I, I grew up with an appreciation for, for water, for food. Um, my godfather was also a, a, a very much a wine enthusiast and was a steward at like these big um, wine competitions and would, and would always hand me, oh, here, try this, try this, try this. So the, the fact that I got into beer, not wine is still a mystery to me, but, um, but it was those influences um, throughout my life that just kind of um, helped kind of define who I am and the work I need to do. And I resisted, I, I honestly, I tell you guys, I, I resisted it hard. Um, I, I did not want to get in the beer biz. I didn't want to end up with a big beer belly and sell something that was just, it was, it was just out, beer, just beer. Who cares? When I finally realized that there was so much more to it that had nothing to do with beer, that had nothing to do with food, but had to do with everything. That's when I realized, um, this is what I've, I've got to do. And, um, and I remember there's, uh, a friend of mine who, um, was a Pulitzer prize winning photographer. And, and, uh, I was talking to him one day and, and I asked him what his origin story, what his secret was. He said, just stay curious to me that that's the pivot of, or the, the, the pinnacle of everything is just stay curious. There's so much more out there to learn, to add to what you already know and to experience. And it's just beautiful. What's some of the, so you're, you're like, when you're staying curious and you're seeking out something or anything, what's some of the most interesting, like an interesting story that you've come across when you're like looking to learn something new kind of maybe inspired you to keep learning even more and whether that's more about beer or more about like, how, how did you connect? Let me, let me answer this and then amend it as we go. Cause I, I think I know where you're going. Okay. But um, you made a comment uh, earlier that, uh, and it might've been when we were talking offline, but um, you want to be good at everything, but not necessarily an expert at one thing or yeah, something so, to that. But like, yeah, yeah, because the life is just too short. Like you're, you're, there's, it's too short to be an expert at one thing because there's so many great things out yeah. there. So I, I used to envy those people who were just incredible at this one thing who were just like dominant at the, like they, they were just star soccer players or star cyclists. And I remember talking to a buddy of mine who was like, you know, really good at this one thing. It's like, man, I, I, I wish I could be as good as you were this. Like, are you kidding me? I wish I could play guitar. I wish I could do this. Yeah. I mean, you can do all the stuff. I wish I could do that. And that's when I realized, oh my gosh, wait a minute here. I'm thinking, I wish I could do what you do because I thought I was supposed to, that we're kind of, taught in our society that you need to be good at this one thing. And I felt like I was just kind of like, you know, not there that day when they taught you how life works. And I was like, I want to do everything. But this guy that I respected turned around and said, no, I envy you because you can do all the stuff that I can't. It doesn't matter that I'm in, I'm the best chef in the world or the best guitarist or the best swimmer or the best beer person. It doesn't matter. I can do all of it and I can do all of it decently well. And to me, that's, that's just the fun part. 
and I've, I've tried rock climbing and that was awesome. I've tried mountaineering and that was awesome. And I like, okay, I've done it. I'm good. I want to go back to this thing. Cause this is what I really, really love. And, and the only way I know that I really, really love this thing is because I've tried all the rest and mm-hmm. realized, yep, nope. I, I, I like this thing. And now yeah. I know for sure. Thank you. You kind of clarified that more. Cause I was just thinking too, is like when you were talking about how like you were jealous of people who could be an expert at something, I have always been in awe of people who knew damn well what they wanted to do for the rest of their life since they were in kindergarten. I still haven't figured it out and I'm in my fifties. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. What do you want to be when you grow up? I don't know. (laughs) Well, and, and uh, yeah, my brother was that way. Uh, By the time he was five years old, he wanted to be a cop. He wanted to be a cop. He wanted to be a cop. And now he's retired and retired very well. And now he's just like, man, now I want to do all that stuff that I couldn't do back then. So it's like, now he's retired. Now he gets to be curious. He gets to explore. He gets to do whatever he wants now. And that's fantastic. But he wasn't able to, because that was the one thing he wanted to do. And that was it. I was just thinking along those same lines about as different times in my life as I was younger, like I'm going to do this forever for the rest of my life. I'm going to do this thing. And, and sometimes it was even recreational thing like martial arts. We, we both studied yep. martial arts for a long yep. time, got to the black belt level. And I thought, Oh, and I see people that I trained with back then that are still on their journey of martial arts, mm-hmm. going to higher and higher and higher levels. And while we still practice once in a while, we don't, it's not my lifelong devotion anymore. Yeah. And, and I'm actually very happy for that because it's opened up the realm to do other things. Like I'm learning to play guitar now and, and, you know, my love of beer has never been more intense than it's been and, and learning about it. And, you know, so, yeah, I think it, it's great that people have that passionate desire for things, but it, it, it's, I think when, if people listen to the, the podcast we recorded with you um, on good beer matters, yeah, they listen to that. They'll hear us talk a good bit about staying in your lane and being safe. And yeah, and that might be true for some of some people that pick a one thing and stick with it forever. Maybe that's maybe that is part of what drives them. I don't know. But uh, yeah, it's it's like I find it unfortunate. And I don't mean that as a criticism of other people, because if it's making you happy, it's making you happy. But yeah. But, but I think a great analogy, because I'm sure there'd be people listening is like, nope, I'm an accountant and I love being an accountant and I want to be anything but an accountant. So another way to frame this is uh, tonight, the three of us are going to get together. I'm going to fix street tacos and we're going to have Pacifico. Does that sound good? Absolutely. Sounds great. And tomorrow, tomorrow we're going to have street tacos in a Pacifico. The next day, we're going to have street tacos in Pacifico. The next day, we're going to have street tacos in Pacifico. And the on next Saturday, day, I'm cooking. And, and, and on Saturday, we're going to have pizza, but then we're going to go right back to street tacos in Pacifico. <laughs> I mean, that sounds amazing, but I don't want street tacos in Pacifico every single day. I want diversity in my life. I want variety in my life. I want, I want to see what else is better than street tacos in Pacifico. I may come back to it, but I want to see what else is out there. Okay, so... Uh, Jeremy, where has that diversity and curiosity taken you in like your search for some really, I don't know, creative and unique beers? What's something out there that you've found that has just like blown your mind? Um, I've had a number of experiences with the Clouds Part Angel Sing with beers. Um, but I think uh, to, to best answer your question, I think um, I, I fell in love with 
some of the uh, some Spanish beers um, that were put out, uh, and from a from a cultural standpoint, a story standpoint, and most importantly, a flavor standpoint. Um, uh, you know, like in our American culture, uh, we have like great. I want to have the a burger. I'm going to have a this. I'm going to have that. And then you know, grabbing a drink is often an afterthought. If we go to a summer barbecue, we're going to have a barbecue. You know, have some cheese, maybe some mushrooms, maybe some bacon, and then we're going to pull out that that uh, whatever beers in the cooler. Oftentimes, and it's gross generalization. Um, in the Spanish culture, they are so entrenched with the culinary traditions and wine goes with this and whatever that when they started their craft beer version, uh, sometime after the Americans, we Americans started ours, they were new at brewing, but they were not new at being mindful about their experiences. And it, in some respects, they were far more advanced than we were from what I've seen and experienced. And so some of the beers that they were learning to brew given their mindset was just interesting and fun and it went really well with the food and and it just it just kind of like fit into a piece of the puzzle that you didn't know was missing uh, until it was finally there and you realize oh my god where's this been my whole life one of the beers um uh for example is a beer called la socarada uh, and i forget what that means but it was basically just a, a food pairing beer, uh, a, a basic pale ale for, for lack of better category words, but they had used uh, honey to help ferment it. But that honey they got uh, where bees had um, pollinated rosemary flowers and they pulled the, the honey from that. And so you could get this, this flavor in there. And this beer is from Valencia. So when you have, and Valencia is the birthplace of paella, that big rice dish that's cooked over a grilled fire for anyone who doesn't know. And so when you taste this, this rice dish with the different vegetables and the sausage and the seafood and the shrimp still in the shell, and you have this pale ale that has this just like subtle notes of wild rosemary and, and stuff like that too. It, it was just like, it, it was something that I never could have put together on my own. It was just something that happened. And, and, and so the way that that has influenced me is right before we left um, Arizona, where we previously lived, the last beer that I brewed at home, I basically took some rosemary from the garden. I infused some amber honey with it and, and put in some uh, uh, orange, sweet orange peel into basically a blonde ale base so that I could brew a summer, um, uh, food pairing beer, uh, and, and to try that out. And it turned out, uh, by my estimation, I, it was exactly what I was hoping for. It was delicious. And I, I, I drank most of it and I've got a few bottles left, but, but to me, that's where that experience, that perspective, that story kind of affected the way that I think about things as I go along to, to the point where I, excuse me, where I want to try and reproduce that in some fashion. That just sounded so lovely. Like just, it, it made it not just beer or not just food or even not just like people coming together. It was like an entire experience of how you just defined that. Well, and that, and to me, it's like, we could go get a really darn tasty, whatever food and have a great beer. But, but if we can get the conversation, if we can get the music, if we can get the setting, if, if, if we could figure out what makes 
that experience incredible, deconstruct that, and then put those pieces back together at will. To me, that's the goal. Do you think maybe that's our next step in craft beer in the United States? Because I, I, you know, we had this big boom and, you know, we've had pretty much, I, I never say never, but we've, we've covered pretty much the gamut and like all the crazy things you can do with beer from what can I throw in this beer? And, and, you know, and, and a lot of people have dug up historical styles and things, but I haven't heard too much intent from most brewers across the United States about developing a beer that goes with something. It's more like they're more developing great beers that they think are going to sell well, or that are going to really wow a customer or, or wow their friends or whatever. But like this beer you just brewed was influenced by your, by your travels in Spain and like, yeah, that intention of creating something that goes with something else. Uh, You know, I will bet you guys a beer that that is the next thing that we really dive into. And and, and you can follow what I, I believe is a pretty linear trajectory. Um, uh, and, you know, I love a good story, but I'll keep this brief. But if you go back to uh, even the 80s, you know, once upon a time, we had Velveeta and Salisbury steak, uh, 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 frozen dinner, right? Yep. And, and I can see you guys cringing as I, <laughs> as I say that. I, I, yeah, April just turned up her nose. And it's like, I, I think I triggered a bad memory. Um, <laughs> But, but, uh, but that was, that was kind of like a low point of, of like the culinary uh, center of, uh, of America. But then we had this beer boom. We had, I'm sorry, we had this wine boom in America in the seventies and we had this beer boom, um, in the, in the eighties and along with these craft beer booms, then we started getting into craft bread, craft cheese, craft spirits, craft, whatever there's, there's just there's kind of like this renaissance, this reawakening of how good it could be. Um, and, and all of these things are kind of happening in parallel. Um, and if you, so you kind of have to look ahead at who's gone before us and wine has gone before us. And so they talk about the terroir and now in beer, we're starting to talk about the terroir and in wine, they talk about food pairings. Now we're starting to talk about food pairings and people are starting to talk about the experience, not, not just in a fancy multi-million dollar um, wine estate, but now they're putting wine in the can because they want you to have that experience on the, on the back of a mountain bike. Um, and, and so, uh, and the more and more you get people through the Cicerone program and serve as acolytes and, and, uh, and proselytizing the, the, the good word of good beer, you know, the more that I think beer pairing is going to become the norm. You can already see that in a lot of uh, breweries where they'll have like, here's our burger. Here's a suggested beer with that. I was just in Pacific city, Oregon and uh, Pelican brewery out there, like, like literally on the sand overlooking this gorgeous view. They've got suggested beer pairings with each of their items. That is going to become a standard, I think. Um, And the more you have people like me getting out there who are talking about beer and food pairing, that'll become the, the next thing with 9,000 different breweries in, in the States. They, you know, you can't just have homemade beer and call it like, Hey, we're different. We're unique, good beer, good food. That's no longer enough. You have to stand out and you have to stand out by offering 
um, to our American uh, kind of way of thinking. It's like, that's great, but what else you got? And I think that experience is the next step in trying to create something different and unique. Yeah. I mean, I hope our society is ready for that. And I, I think that could be, I mean, beer is a small part of an art. I mean, it's a, we see it as a big part of our society, but it's really a small part of the overall thing. And, and like, we're seeing things now like the great resignation and all that kind of stuff going on. And, and I think there is a big rethinking of our whole lifestyle and our whole culture in this country right now. I mean, everything from, you know, the way we think about race and the way we think about um, just people that are different from us and how it, we're, you know, there's a lot going on right now that's reinventing a lot of how our country is and how our country thinks. And so I think this is one small part that's reflective of that too. Yeah. Well, and I think, um, again, kind of like the, the way the worlds collide and, you know, we have shows like Chef's Table and Top Chef and all those cooking shows that we've been watching for decades. And that has been slowly bringing our awareness to better food, better awareness. And yes, you can take wasabi and white chocolate and put it on a cake and everyone's going to love it. But along with that, if we kind of point out that what we're really talking about is not the food, not the beer, we're talking about this fusion of culture, this fusion of flavor, this, this fusion of how you can take these things that are nothing alike, put them together. Now you have a new thing that is awesome. Doesn't always work, but it's worth trying because sometimes it will be uh, amazing and mind blowing. And if we extrapolate that to whether we agree, whether we understand or not, we can still work together with people that don't look like us and come up with something awesome. And if it doesn't work, Hey, at least we tried and we can walk away knowing that we, we gave it a good shot. But to your point, Ken, if we were to take some of these lessons we have been learning for decades in the food world, in the sports world. And I, I was just reading an article today that uh, they renamed um, the, the sport Quidditch, which became an actual <laughs> sport uh, from the Harry Potter books that people actually put it together and started playing a sport and they renamed it to be more inclusive. Um, not just for witches and warlocks. No, why not? <laughs> why not try it? Hey, if you don't like it, stop and move on. But you know, like my, my only rule with beer is if you, if you don't like it, stop, if you do like it, keep going, but you, we could extrapolate that to how we interact with each other and what our form that takes. Yeah. Which I, I think, are you saying it this way? Like, if you don't like it, stop, if you like it, keep going. But if you're interacting with each other on that very structured moment that could cause a whole heck of a lot of problems well let, well let, let's say for example you guys sat down in, in that bus on the way to austin or at a table and we're having a beer and we start talking about politics or religion and let's say you let's say we disagree um you know one one possible reaction is i could get pissed off and i could storm off thinking you guys are ridiculous um or i could disagree but hey thank you for sharing your point i never thought of that perspective before i, I feel differently but hey, cheers to you guys. Yeah. Um, uh, those are two possible scenarios. The third scenario is like, wow, I didn't think about that before. I need to process this. But that's that's really enlightening. That's cool. I th- thank you for sharing your perspective. 
I, I've, I've never lived in your shoes, but you just gave me a glimpse into your life. And now I have more to add to my experience for me to change the way that I think and behave. No, and and hopefully, hopefully there's a good beer in front of us. Exactly. Well, yeah, usually, the, yeah, usually if you're willing to have conversations like that, where you can kind of slow down and think about it a little bit and just pause it, there's a good beer in front of you. <laughs> generally, generally, I need a good beer and some jazz playing in the background for me to go there. Nice. <laughs> so what I wanted to ask is like beer is, I mean, it's like intertwined into our lives, into your life. It's just a part of like who we are in our lives yeah. and everything and what we love as entertainment, as a business, as like education it's like a purpose that's all intertwined in everything. So a lot of people though, when they're like working, they want to leave their job at home, they come home and it's all mm. completely separate and they don't want to deal with any of these inter, you know, these tangled things going on. Do you find it, do you compartmentalize sometimes with the beer or is it just all intertwined into your life? Is it great that you like it like that? Is it, do you not like it? Like how is beer treated in like outside of like, business for you? How do you separate yourself sometimes or does it have to be separated? Um, that's a, that's a really great question, honestly, because there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of, um, sanity in compartmentalizing what you do. And there's certain things I do compartmentalize, but for me, um, uh, I think of it in the term, I call it the three P's in, in, in working. There's professionalism. I want to, I want to be professional at what I do. There's passion. I'm really excited about what I do, but I think the most important thing for me is purpose. I want to be professional. I'm passionate, but for me, it's purpose. So, so beer is something I can't not do. I'm just fortunate that people pay me to do it. Um, and, and I, and I respect everyone who feels differently about it, but at the end of the day, I'm still going to have a beer. Um, uh, but what does that mean in, in reality? Um, there are times when I go out and have some delicious wine, I have a cocktail. Um, there are times when I really don't want any alcohol right now. So I'm either going to skip it or thank God for really great, uh, non-alcoholic, uh, uh, beers these days, um, that are a viable option. Um, because I enjoy that flavor. I enjoy that experience. Um, to me, that helps kind of bind the experience I'm having, uh, root it into something tangible. Um, but even beyond teaching and nerding out about beer, uh, my daughter's now 14, but when she was right about eight, I poured a beer and I poured her a glass of apple juice. And we, and, and I took her through the BJCP, like we're going to taste it. We're going to look at it. We're going to smell it. We're going to taste it. We're going to think about the mouthfeel. We're going to think about the dryness. We're... And, and granted, she was drinking apple juice and it's pretty one dimensional compared to beer, but I walked her through that process. And ever since then, she is she has just been more open to um, this yogurt has a strong like lemon zest note to it or um or the texture of this brownie is just not what I wanted. I need to do this to get the texture right. And this is how she thinks and how she talks now. So I'm able to take my world of beer and apply it in a different way to someone else. Um, uh, and so the reason why I bring that up in the context of your question is, is it, it's like, it's like saying, I, 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 
I'm a professional um, uh, oxygen researcher, but at the end of the day, I'm going to stop thinking about oxygen. No, no, I'm still going to breathe. And and beer's not quite as important as oxygen, but it's it's not far off. Um, (laughs) And and so that's, that's where for me, it's a lifestyle. I want to share the lifestyle. Um, uh, we mentioned if we, if we're a mountain guide, it's not like it, when I'm done being a mountain guide for the season, I'm going to go sit and, and binge watch Netflix movies and eat a bunch of Cheetos. It's like, no, I'm still going to get outside. So it, it right. I, I think for me, it's a, it's a, it's a part of who I am and I'm just trying to share who I am in that regard. So my big uh, thing, it seems to be just my kind of interest is like, how do people find a balance in their like life around whatever it could be professional life. It could be personal life. It could be spiritual life. It could be anything. And balance is such the wrong word because nobody, I don't think ever has like this perfectly balanced scale of life. Like there's, you know, 50% this and 50% that and my balance is life is just like absolutely perfect. So do how do you create this, this balance between all the things that you love because there's beer and that's family and you know, you're diving. And... Yeah. Diving and all of this. Yeah. How do you, do you feel like overwhelmed? That's a dumb question. Cause everybody feels overwhelmed at some time <laughs> or another, but do you, do you, how do you, how do you find that thing that kind of matches it and brings you back into whatever you define your balance as where you're feeling like pretty good or not overwhelmed in something in one way or another? So I think I, I think I brought this up before where um, I, I think of it as, sailing a boat and we need to get from here to, we need to get to straight over there, but you have to keep your hands on the wheel because the, the waves, the current, the wind is going to make you drift to the left. So you have to correct, and then you're going to overcompensate and drift to the right. So you have to go left and right, left and right in order to go forward. I feel the same way about balance. And I think balance is a big thing, but you're never going to be perfectly in balance because if you are, then something's just going to feel stale and you need that imbalance to propel you forward. I think, um, for me, when I'm feeling like, Oh my God, all I'm doing is spending time editing podcasts and videos and thinking about beer. I need to do something else. I'll go have a glass of wine. I'll go play my guitar. Um, that's part of the reason why I'm investing time and energy in, in, in water sports is just for the fitness of it. The, the, the reason why I focus on free diving as opposed to scuba diving is, is I could go scuba dive right now, but I need to train for free diving. Um, the most importantly, I need to train my head for this and get calm and relaxed and at peace and, and get very comfortable with discomfort if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you're holding your breath and your diaphragm starts kind of like quivering because it wants to take a breath, um, my first instinct, I think a common first instinct is to freak out. And, it, and it's way more productive to say, I am calm, I am relaxed, this will pass, everything is fine. That's how I find balance is to, because um, I don't love doing one thing. I try and do a little bit of everything. And so I'll cook, I'll play guitar. I'll do this, that, and the other thing, hang out with my kids, you know, whatever. Thank you. That was kind of a selfish question, but I also think it's really helpful <laughs> for like other 
beer lovers or I other think people. Everybody who, struggles with but everybody, anybody who loves beer, who's listening to our podcast, I just think it's great to hear advice from other people who are kind of like living in that like beer lifestyle to hear how other people handle stuff like that as well. So, and and a joke that my wife and I tell each other is, "How can I miss you if you won't go away?" Uh, I think uh, I think that is also very important too. If you just love beer, you love beer, you love beer, you love beer. You love beer if you want to continue being in love with something, it's okay to take a break. Mm-hmm. You'll come back to it. It's okay to go have a glass of wine. It's okay to have nothing. It's okay to not have any alcohol today. That's totally okay. Um, in fact, it's, it's probably a good thing to have a little fast day. It's okay to have a cheat day. It's okay to have a fast day. I think that is also um, important to maintaining that um that line and, and correcting left and right, left and right. So you can continue to go forward. Yeah. Uh, on that note, I was going to say, it's okay to talk a little bit of technical terms about beer too. Like I shut <laughs> you guys down at the beginning, no, but I don't absolutely know. Absolutely not. April We've said no. We've got a little technical here and there. We got a little technical here and there, I think. Uh, we didn't exactly break down a recipe for the for a Roush beer or anything like oh, that. But but speaking of like <laughs> recipes and stuff, you're home brewer as well, because you were talking about brewing one of the beers. Like what's ha- what's some of the coolest beers or like some of the fun things that you've played with and had fun with? You're not a like professional brewer. You don't have to worry about trying to recreate the exact same recipe all the time. You can have well, fun. Yeah, one story was fantastic already. About, <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, I was drooling over adding that one. basil. So, so I, I've... Um... Uh, ever since I discovered the uh, profundity of a fermentation chamber, I have really, really enjoyed brewing lagers, particularly German lagers. Um, uh, I've made a uh, Hellas and my box are my favorite. I've made a Dunkel um, and God, I could drink those all day, every day. I think one of the, uh, one of the recent experiments that went really freaking well I have to say is, um, and this was just fun because, um, because, you know, we like to cook, we like to brew beer, we like to drink beer. Um, I decided I was going to brew a Belgian golden strong. And in order to brew a Belgian beer of that nature, particularly a golden strong, you need some, uh, Belgian candy sugar, um, uh, or invert sugar. And so making invert sugar for your beer is really easy. It's really fun. Um, but it just sounds kind of geeky and technical, but you basically take some sugar, some water and a little bit of acid, like, um, like I just squeeze some lemon juice in there. And then I continued to boil it until I got the, uh, pale yellow color I was looking for. I poured it out in the pan, let it dry. And then there's my, uh, invert sugar. So then I brew this, uh, Belgian golden strong. I add the sugar to it to get a little bit of color, a little bit of flavor but mostly the alcohol because golden strongs are like seven and a half to 10%. I mean, they're, they're big, big, easy drinking beers. So I made this Belgian golden strong and I really enjoyed it. But since I'm brewing 10 gallons at a time, I took half the batch and just left it as the base beer. The other half, I took some um, French oak uh, chips, some virgin oak chips, and I soaked them in a Brazilian cachaça for a couple of weeks. Have you guys ever had cachaça? No, I was going to say, what, what is cachaça? So uh, cachaça, it's, it's very, very similar to rum. Um, rum is uh, okay. often made uh, using molasses, um, sometimes sugar cane. Uh, a Brazilian cachaça is made only from uh, sugar cane, as, to my best knowledge. If someone else out there knows more than me, please 
uh, pipe uh, kind of share the notes, but but this stuff is just, it was clear, but it's extremely aromatic. It's extremely flavorful. And I think the, um, the, the best comparison I can make that most people would have experienced would be like, have, have you ever had Myers rum? Mm -hmm. And it's yeah. very flavorful, it's, it's distinct. Cachaca is a lot like that. And so I okay. soaked these oak chips in cachaca for a couple of weeks. And then the second batch of my Golden Strong, I put on these oak chips in a secondary for a couple of weeks. And what happened is it got this woodsiness, it got this alcohol pop that eventually kind of matured and stabilized. But eventually I got this um, beer that was strong, easy to drink, but it started getting these beautiful flavors of like, of like, um, like fried plantain flavors um, on, on this uh, golden strong. And it, but it was just a deep complex um, rum like plantain flavor that was just, it was exactly what I was hoping would come out of it. So I've definitely kept that recipe. I'm going to make that again, but it was just, to me, that's just the fun part of being a home brewer and of playing around. I've never, ever, ever seen anyone uh, barrel aged, you know, I've seen, you know, bourbon, I've seen wine, I've seen rum, but I've never seen anyone barrel aged in cachaca. And this, this thing just turned out wonderfully. Mm. I love it. That's my favorite part of homebrewing too, is just right? playing around, you know, it's, it's fun to, to make a beer that's well-made and to know that you hit that mark and that you made this really just good beer a solid beer. But then I love that. One of my favorite things to do is like what you did you split your batch in half is take a batch and split it into two or three or four little, little containers and yeah. do different additions to them to see what happens. And, you know, it's, it's really fun to have that base beer and then compare what happened with the different things you do to it. Yeah. Just, you, you learn so much. And even with like just brewing a, a Munich Hellas. I mean, I can, I can uh, split it in half and use two different yeast and see which one I like better. So next time I'll use this yeast and it's just fun, but, but being a home brewer, you can create things that no one else has created because it, it's just financially not viable to, right. you know, make a beer like that. If you're a commercial brewer, you may not get your money back, but as a home brewer, Woohoo, let's do it. Yeah, on a <laughs> on a pro scale, you can't usually charge enough to do all that, but but it, it is fun as a homebrewer. And you know, as a nice side effect, you learn how to fix broken beer that way too. You can <laughs> Yeah. Well, well it, you don't fix it, you kind of mask it. <laughs> I well, guess that's it, a better it, and I and it definitely helps me understand commercial beer because if I understand the brewing process and where flavors come from, whether it's temperature or process or ingredient or whatever it is, it's like, I, I can, I can play detective that much better because I, you know, I've done it myself. Yeah. April can probably, probably has a dozen different times off the top of her head that she can remember me going, Oh, I bet they kind of did this with this beer. They kind of, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. I think they did. It just didn't ferment out far enough. It's, it's too, well, you like, know. Uh, uh, like that uh, Belgian wit that you shared with everyone and mm -hmm. um, uh, at the beer now conference, that was delicious. It was beautiful. Um, and I don't, I'm not going to say, but, 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 um, <laughs> no, please uh, do. but, but I, I did, you know, I did taste, uh, there, it was very, a little bit sweeter, a little bit fuller bodied than some that I've had. Um, 
uh, which is neither good nor bad. It just made me think maybe you guys had more a sweet orange pill than normal, or maybe there's a little bit of residual sugar in there. Um, and, and I loved it. And, and this is not a criticism by any stretch, but it, I'm just thinking about how does that compare to like, you know, a who garden or, or something like that, that has a little bit more uh, coriander presence and a little bit more, more uh, acidity than, and yours had a, you know, a little bit more sweetness, but it was like, splitting hairs. It, to me, that's just the fun part of tasting something new, tasting something that you guys created going, damn, that's good. But now I can understand how it was put together because of what I'm tasting. To me, that's just fun. Well, and for me talking to somebody like you about that beer, I mean, I can hear your, your description of it and your, your breakdown and, and I can go, okay, I know why it tasted too sweet. I know why it not it, too sweet. Not too sweet. Well, a a little sweeter than it, a a little sweeter than what a classic style would probably be. And we did have, we did use a new experimental malt in that and we used it at a pretty heavy percentage. It's a crystal wheat three Lova bond. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. And that, that malt in particular presents as like a honey, like sweetness. Yeah. And real pale, but sweet. And we used a lot of it. We used like 30% of the malt bill with that. So that's probably some of that sweetness. Plus when we shared it at beer now, it was probably about a month or so past its prime. (laughs) It wasn't, it wasn't at peak. So some of the flavors were dropping off a little bit that should have been a little more pronounced. So what I'm hearing you say is you showed up to this beer writers conference with a bunch of old beer. Yes, (laughs) we did actually. Yeah, (laughs) actually, no, we made sure we had extras ordered so we could bring it to you guys. Yeah, yes, because it was actually brewed for a different event. And then but we knew we were going to beer now. So we were like, okay, it's pushing it just a little bit. But we still we knew it was still going to be a good beer. and It it wasn't going to be the perfect example of that beer. But we knew it was still going to be good and drinkable. And people now you sound like you're making excuses. Stop. No. Well, no, but, and, 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 and I thought that beer was beautiful. I thought it was tasty. I enjoyed every last sip of it. And this kind of goes to when we talk about beer styles and the way that I think about beer styles, um, you know, the, the authority that I put most of my credence into is the BJCP just because they're prolific and they're, and they're thorough, um, and so the way that they describe really is a range, but I think of it in terms of like a, a, a target, like a, like a dartboard target. And the BJCP is going to describe within a range, the first and second inner circles of what that style should be. And as people brew that beer, they might hit different, you know, outer rings of that range. Uh, it's still going to be a wit beer in this example, Um, but it's going to be a little bit high. It's going to be a little bit low, a little bit left, a little bit right, but they're still within that target. And, and the BJCP or the guidelines, whoever creates the guidelines is not meant to dictate what the style is. In fact, the, the, the converse is true. They are describing what has come out, what the brewers have already done. Right. And so the fact that you guys created something that was different than who garden, that was different than blue moon was fantastic. You're still on the board and you created your own interpretation of that. And it was awesome. If you get too far off that dartboard, you're going to end up on a completely different dartboard. Like the difference between a golden strong and a triple it's like, it's a frog's fuzz difference, but it's different enough where you're on a different dartboard. 
that's a great way to put it. Yeah. And well, and I was also, also thinking along the lines of like music, when you do like cover songs, you don't want to yeah. do the exact same thing. Yeah, it's already You want to have to have it a little bit different, a little bit like of your own style to it, but not too yeah. far off where it changes everything. So, yeah, well, I, I did, I did mention, I have a 14 year old daughter and so she's super into uh, Harry Styles and, and, uh, and I, I've become a fan of his, but he did a version of uh, Peter Gabriel's sledgehammer and he yeah. did it oh, wow. to the T and it was phenomenal. But then again, to your point, I love it when people will take, um, uh, a, a song and completely, completely change it and make it awesome. Um, uh, Johnny Cash did that with uh, Soundgarden's Rusty Cage and, and, um, yeah. Um, a bunch, a bunch of songs, and yeah. it was just like yeah. this is a completely different song, and and I get it now. Yeah. They're, they're either way, they're amazing. Right, cool. Well, we're winding down now, but I have one question. So you, okay. questions. You, um, when you're when you're not wanting to analyze beer and not wanting to sit there and just notice all the little finer nuances in it and stuff, like what beer do you drink? Um. I find myself so granted this is summertime. So I find myself leaning heavy into lagers, particularly, um, I can't get enough of, of a Munich Hellas. Okay. Let me rephrase this. You don't want to analyze anything. What's your best worst beer? Remember you called uh, it something else. Uh, my, I'm not comfortable calling it the best worst beer, but my, I know people don't like that term, but it's just but, what I like to use. So. But my, uh, my brainless, whatever we call it, my brainless beer, I'll, I, I could drink Pacifico all day long. Um, okay. yeah. Um, uh, a course I do a Coors light, a Miller high life, uh, Heineken in the can only in the can. Okay. Only in the can. Okay. Um, but these are beers that I have no problem drinking. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cause what's, what's yours is usually a Coors Banquet is a good yeah. go-to beer for me yeah. when I just yeah, want something. One. Mine would be a Corona only in a bottle and it has to have a lime. Yeah. Drink the Coronas like all the time. Yeah. yeah. But, but I do know, love, I do love Pacifico. Pacifico is my favorite Mexican beer for sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I have some good experiences with the Pacifico. <laughs> if you, as your personality, were a beer. A beer style. Style or a beer. Okay. What would it be? What would you be and why? <laughs> This is a, that's a really good question, April. My, my first thought is to, um, no, I'm just going to say, I'm, I'm going to say I'm a Maybach because, um, the way I dress, the way I act is very like non frills. I I'm a jeans and a t-shirt. No, I'm sorry. I'm a board shorts and a t-shirt guy on any given day, including Christmas day. When I'm out shoveling the snow, you're probably <laughs> going to find me in flip-flops, board shorts and a t-shirt and probably a beanie. Cause I'm bald. Um, but there are those parts of me that I just get as excited as Jojo, the monkey boy, um, about things. And I get, so I have some, what I'm going to call some complexity and some, some, um, some uh enthusiasm but it's very classic can i i'm going to use that word classic okay i love that you understood my question <laughs> oh that was a great question who who doesn't understand your question that was a that was an ex excellent question i don't i don't know if there are people that don't understand it too much or they just have a hard time characterizing themselves so then they ultimately that's true they really struggle with like defining who they are so ultimately the answer becomes something like along the lines of a beer they like and it's yeah like, oh i want it to but be you but you've pushed them into how do i 
do I really know who I am? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Making them a little uncomfortable. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> yeah. All right. One, la- one last quick question, and then okay. you're going to plug away. But like you mentioned 80s, old, bad 80s action movies. What's one of oh your favorite old, bad 80s oh action Oh, my gosh. Movies? This is, I'm so glad you asked this question. So <laughs> sure. um, my son is now 12, and and he's, you getting to the age where like, Dad, I kind of want to watch a kind of a scary type of movie. And 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 he's I don't love scary movies and he's kind of sensitive so we're kind of easing into this but so he and I have been going on this watch and this is how I'm going to answer this question. We started with Predator. Uh, we went to uh, Alien, which is '79, so not really '80s. And then um, but we only watched Alien so we could set up Aliens, which I think is a far better movie. And that goes along with um, we'd already watched the Terminator series, so those are those are like the best bad action movies from the eighties ever. And, um, and so I've been revisiting those with my son because I need to try to my best to raise my son properly. Nice. But see, doesn't that go along with, you can be okay with the best bad action movie, but you can't be okay with the best worst beer. Oh, absolutely. And that's where <laughs> it's like, I, I, I don't need a Saison de Pont with, uh, you know, with some, uh, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, like commando. It's like, I'm not going to have a, 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 a uh, a goose with commando that it, that doesn't pair well <laughs> what would Dude. you pair with commando with commando um probably a banquet <laughs> but see i was saying that could be an entirely different podcast you can completely talk for hours about oh, what totally. beers to pair with what movie i know it's like i'm bored of beer and food pairing what else are you get to pair beer with yep music yep. Books. movies books yeah oh yeah you yeah. can do it a lot there's all kinds of things clothes yeah all right, close. Okay. What goes totally. With a thong? I mean, I suppose totally. you do. You depending on where you're going, what beer you're going to drink. Something really strong. <laughs> yes. All right. Where can people find you, Jeremy? Because you have a great podcast. So. Yeah. So, um, thank you very much. So, uh, please uh, go to goodbeermatters.net. Um, you can find me in all the usual podcast uh, places. You can find me at Good Beer Matters on Instagram. Um, I, I also post a little bit on Facebook, but Instagram is where I hang out. Um, a few little plugs. I'm putting out a bunch of uh, videos with uh, Brewery DB. Those will end up on uh, YouTube, a bunch of pairing type stuff. Um, and then uh, uh, let's see. I'm also working on a, um, a project with uh, the, the great Julia Hers that, will, uh, that we're going to release here uh, pretty soon called sense of beer style, just more education on beer styles and everything, a, a beer. Um, so there, there's lots of different things that I've got my fingers in, but those are the ones that you can find me here. I was just going to ask why people should think that you're cool, but you already answered that. So never mind. <laughs> we think you're cool. What, okay. What, what was my answer then that made you think I mean, I you're was cool meeting with Julia Hertz. So like, come on, this is just a given right there. Oh, well, ah. she's, she's super cool. So that yeah. she is. Okay. So why are you cool? She why is people... one of the most amazing people in the beer world. She is, but I was just going to be, you know, like what, why should people listen to you? Well, I I'm cool because I'm bald and I lose heat easily. So there, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> see, and he's a smart ass. So that's why it works. <laughs> <laughs> and we haven't even been drinking yet. I know. I, I know. Crazy. Shame on us. <laughs> right. All right. Well, this was a lot of fun. We're glad we got to talk to you more and we'll definitely have to do it again. Yeah. So great to see you guys again. And thank you for, uh, thank you for this time. And then, um, aside from the podcast, we're already done recording. No, we're not. We didn't say cheers. Oh, sorry. Hang on. 
All right. Cheers. All right. Cheers to that. <laughs> Cheers. Here, here's my here's my fake Stein. <laughs> Cheers. See, eloquent, well spoken, knows exactly what to say, how to say it, and really takes his time to explain why good beer matters. And uh, one other thing that I was thinking of from talking to him is when you teach. Let me rephrase that. The more you teach, the more you learn. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And that that is his constant mantra, if you didn't get that throughout the entire conversation, was constantly seeking knowledge and then always wanting to share that knowledge. So I actually really loved when he was talking about staying curious. Um, it, just, it just makes life, I don't know, that much better. Yeah, and, and, and this is not... I'm not trying to be a kiss ass shameless plug kind of thing, but seriously, his podcast is one of my favorite beer podcasts, beer centric podcast, because he is very curious and he asks excellent questions that I want to know about. And he learns a lot, but he, he, the way he conducts his interviews, he's very good at passing that information on to the listener, even as he's learning it. And he has some really excellent guests on there all the time. I mean, he's had Garrett Oliver from Brooklyn Brewing and and many people in the industry that are super knowledgeable about everything they do. So he, some are super geeky, some are super fun, and some are both. But fantastic podcast. And you just said he has some really great people on his podcast, right? Oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, that's the story I was telling you to wait for at the end of the podcast, because guess who was on his podcast? Okay, so you made one mistake. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, if you are interested in hearing Jeremy more, because he's, like like you just said, he asked great questions, mm -hmm. and he asked great questions of us. So we did this, like, kind of double podcast episode, so he was on ours, and we were on his. Yes. So... I'll definitely have that in the show notes. You can go find it at goodbeermatters.net. It's already posted up there. Yeah, or just go out to wherever you listen to your podcasts and look up Good Beer Matters and start following them. Um, and you'll find our episodes, one of the most recent ones on there. So, yeah. yeah. And I it was really fun because um, it's really interesting when you're a guest on a podcast instead of being the host. You know, it's it's the, the script flips, right? It's It's a different thing, but like... Jeremy, Jeremy made it a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun because, like we've been saying, he asked great questions, and he's just a very personable guy, and yeah. it was fun. And he's a fantastic person that just has a, that personality that just makes you feel calm and relaxed, and you feel comfortable and want to talk. Yeah. It was great conversations both times. So hopefully you enjoyed this one, and you'll enjoy the other one, too. So, yeah. But we can't leave you without giving, ooh, man, maybe one or two final plugs in the next couple of podcast episodes for Camp Carpe Diem. Yeah, there's still a couple tickets left if anybody wants to go to Camp Carpe Diem in Brevard, North Carolina, October 20th through the 23rd. Oh my gosh, it's less than a month away. Less than a month away. But as we're recording this podcast, we're getting ready to head out into Brevard in the next day. And then... We get to brew a beer with our good friends over at Oscar Blues Brewing in Brevard on their pilot system. They're going to brew a collab beer with us for Camp Carpe Diem because they are Camp Carpe Diem's platinum sponsor and they've been freaking amazing. 
they're putting on a great party for us. Um, hired a band to play. They're, we're brewing a beer together. Uh, it's pretty fucking cool. But the only way you'll get that beer is if you visit the Taproom in Brevard or sign up for Camp Carpe Diem. C-A-M-P-C-A-R-P-E-D-I-E-M.com. We're super stoked. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, thanks for putting up with us, folks. And uh, hopefully we'll see a lot of you down at Camp Carpe Diem. I know a bunch of you will be there. And with that... Stay curious. And keep on keeping on. Cheers. Cheers. Peace out. We'd love to hear from you, so keep the conversation going. Send us a note, share a beer recommendation or two, or just say hey. This Stout Conversation has been brought to you by livingastoutlife.com, where you can find community and resources for all your craft beer travel and adventure lifestyle needs.